All right, Arnan, why don't you tell us a bit about your background in, in AI and kind of healthcare and how has it evolved for you, I guess, in the a, in a past a couple of years you've been in it? Yeah, sure. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, I've been immersed in the world of artificial intelligence for, you know, nearly a decade, a journey that it's been taking me through an incredible range of different industries, like healthcare being one of them. And currently I'm pursuing my PhD in computer science and artificial intelligence at the Federal University of Paraná in Brazil. And I'm diving even deeper into AI with this PhD. So the focus of my current research is on a subject called physics informed machine learning. Mm -hmm. which is a way to, you know, um, combine the knowledge that we've built in physics with machine learning to enhance uh, how we interact with the world. And, you know, uh, but my dive into healthcare began um, six years ago during my master's research. I was, uh, it, it, it was basically then that I harnessed the power of, deep learning and natural language processing to interpret the charge summaries. Right uh, yeah, it was a project that not only, you know, challenged me, but also, um, you know, to some extent highlighted the profound impact of AI and uh, how, um, you know, it could improve patient care and quite honestly, the world as a whole, right? Hmm. And so I, I can say that working across different sectors has been a privilege it has offered me like a unique perspective on how AI can be a force for good and transforming challenges into opportunities for innovation. I love that. Yeah. And you know, this whole theme of AI with predictive analytics and improving the outcomes, uh, you know, I, I worked on a couple of these to just for, mm -hmm. you know, better managing the staff and resources, you know, effectively with predictive analytics when it comes to AI. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that thesis that you've done during your master's uh, about the uh, discharge summaries. Like, do you mind just elaborating a little bit more on that? Sure, yeah. So uh, actually a cool part of my work with discharge summaries is that this thesis it demonstrated that if you train a model on ICD-10 codes, it could, um, quote unquote, read through the summaries and accurately pinpoint the right code for the condition, for the conditions I was focusing on. So uh, this means that healthcare providers could rely on this type of model when clinical documents are missing in ICD-10 code or, you know, uh, whenever they want to review the codes that are uh, presently assigned. And it's uh, pretty neat to think about you know, the potential impact on accuracy and efficiency for providers and patients, because ICD-10 codes, at least here in Brazil, is what is used you know, to uh, perform proper payments for healthcare providers. So that's, that's kind of the focus of my, uh, my thesis. Uh, but then I have this shift uh, for my uh, PhD research, and this shift was uh, actually sparked by a recent job experience. Um, and I can say that I've always been bugged by how automatic vehicles decide when and how to you know, shift gears and whether or not that decision was optimal in terms of energy consumption, target speed and emissions. Uh, 
and it, we know that you know emissions is a big discussion nowadays. So I had this um, aha moment, uh, leading me to believe I could make a real contribution by leveraging AI to solve this this separate problem, and that's uh, what got me to you know blending physics with machine learning. So for me here, it's, it's you know about finding new ways to tackle some of the big challenges we're facing. So either in engineering, in physics, or in healthcare. Yeah. Broad field, broad field for sure. That's that's awesome. So today, let's. Uh, I'd love to focus a little bit more on the ethical side of the healthcare. I want to connect the two, and I'd love to get your take on uh, you know some of the primarily ethical concerns uh, that you see, especially when it comes to you know, collecting and handling this patient data when we're about to you know um, integrate some of these AI-driven mm-hmm. technologies. What, what would you say there? Yeah, absolutely. And this is um, a critical area we have to focus on, right? So when we talk about using AI in healthcare, especially with patient data, there are a few ethical concerns that we need to address. So for example, first, privacy and data protection are paramount, right? So there's always a risk of data breaches, which can have you know serious implications for patients' personal information. Uh, so it's crucial that any AI system complies with regulations like uh, HIPAA in the US, GDPR in Europe and Brazil, but the challenges doesn't stop at compliance. Uh, we need to ensure that these protections are baked into the technology from the ground up. So yeah, then there's the matter of you know informed consent. So in traditional healthcare settings, patients can directly consent on how their data is being used. But in AI, the use of data can evolve over time as the technology learns and adapts. This makes it kind of tricky to ensure that patients fully understand and agree to how their information might be used down the line. So my understanding is that uh, you know, terms of consent should accommodate this evolving nature from the get-go. And also, we need to talk about, you know, explainability and liability. I also had the opportunity to talk uh, with you about explainability a couple of times. But, you know, it's a known fact that AI systems can process vast amounts of data to make predictions and uh, recommendations, but it's uh, crucial that, you know, we... Uh, can understand how these decisions are made. So in healthcare, uh, you can think about it, the stakes are incredibly high, right? And while AI can assist, the final decision must always um, rest in a human professional. So it's uh, about using AI as a tool to enhance human decision-making, not replace it. So ensuring that there is a clear accountability for decisions made with AI's help is essential for um, building trust and ensuring that, you know, patient care remains the top priority. Yeah, it's very multifaceted, Arnon, you know, like there's the, the yeah. actual, you know, healthcare professionals when it comes to ethics and, and bias that we're going to dig into more later in the discussion, but also the actual um, you know, care recipient as well and mm-hmm. their data. And as, as we know, the AI is the backbone is, you know, of course we have this intelligent um, algorithm 
but without data and training, then you know we're nowhere. So it's very important for us to really emphasize. I remember I don't want to name <laughs> the hospital, but um, there was a case. It was a data breach, and uh, the whole patient trust, and also not only that, but also legal side um, was highlighted. And that's that just goes to your point as well is that yeah. it's multifaceted and it really needs to be handled carefully. You know, it's not yeah. just another, you know, uh, e-commerce application, whatever. These are actually people's personal health information, right? So, uh, hence why we're talking about this. Now, how do you envision, you know, these healthcare institutions and regulatory bodies, like, you know, govern, uh, you know, to, to limit these negative implications while not stifling innovation. Cause I think that's a very yeah. tricky balance, right? So how, how do yeah. you, how do you see that? Yeah, I believe uh, it's all about, as you said, finding the right balance. So enforcing regulations like GDPR and HIPAA, of course is key, but it's equally important not to go um, overboard with rules. I think uh, this is also something Ian Lacan, one of the godfathers of modern AI, is also worried about. He has been very vocal on that recently on his LinkedIn. So, you know, too much regulation can slow down innovation, making it harder for new uh, beneficial technologies to emerge. So I believe healthcare institutions and regulatory bodies should um, aim for a kind of middle ground that protects patient data without putting unnecessary breaks. Totally. I, I also was reading about this whole topic of synthetic data. Uh, what do you think? Do you think that's that's a good, um, you know, approach you take when it comes to like situations like training AI for healthcare? Yeah, absolutely. Not only for healthcare, but also across different industries. I think an approach which uses um, synthetic data is beneficial for you to, uh, as a scientist, to assess whether or not your model is performing well. But it's also a very good opportunity for, for example, healthcare providers leveraging AI to um, understand if their uh, models would uh, perform well and if the security measures are in place are currently working fine. So before you have the uh, you know real data to plug into your model and see how it works, you could potentially use synthetic data to see if all security measurements are um working properly and if the model is going to perform well. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So talking about privacy and bias, we kind of touched on it a little bit, uh, but let's maybe drill down on this, uh, tackling this when it comes to healthcare and the bias of these models. Yeah. So, you know, uh, there is, um, a growing concern about biases, especially, you know, when talking about AI. And I've, I mean, there is one major issue uh, in terms of AI development in uh, ensuring its fairness. So, you know, AI models are only as good as the data they're trained on. So if this data lacks diversity, the model's performance can be, um, you know, uneven across different patient demographics. And a very recent example, and I had the opportunity to share this with you, it's uh, the it's what happened with Google's Gemini, right? So adding a little bit more context to your audience, recently uh, Google released its much-anticipated conversational AI called Gemini. 
And a few days after the release, they halted the generation of synthetic human pictures. And the reason for that is that users noticed that Gemini was, you know, generating images that were not historically accurate, such as, you know, the depicting people of particular groups in scenes where they would not have been present and potentially, you know, perpetuating stereotypes due to biases present in their, uh, in the training data. Now, uh, this becomes critical if you think about healthcare because equitable care is a fundamental right. So ensuring that AI systems are trained on diverse data is uh, crucial to mitigate biases and, you know, prevent disparities in care quality. Yeah, totally, man. The Gemini was, and that's, I think that's one side of it, like that we talked about as well, like offline, uh, about the importance of, uh, you know, proper training because it, 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 the bias itself that comes, but also the, uh, I feel like the other part from a business perspective is that a player like Google, you know, it's, it's got, I think, the biggest data collector, if not one of the top ones out there. So yeah. I think it has a lot more implications for them. Uh, from that regard, because trust is very important uh, for us and for them as well. So I think that's also another from a business perspective and healthcare itself being another one that it's super important for it to, you know, um, uh, basically try to remove bias, but at the same time. So, I mean, like what, if you were to bring it a bit closer, like how do you see that? I mean, like, is there... Is there like, we're talking about the right balance, but maybe can we drill down on the balance itself? Like, um, have you, have you had, you know, thoughts around like, all right, in healthcare, like, uh, what is the minimum viable data that we need to train these models to actually, you know, remove bias to a decent extent while not also, you know, uh, uh, violating any privacy? Have you had thoughts around that? Right. Yeah. So uh, in terms of, you know, minimal data required to remove bias this is still an open discussion there is no uh, one size fits all it's all about you know um, reviewing our data to guarantee that it kind of resembles all the aspects that we see in our society so uh, all the groups are properly represented all the diseases are properly represented as well in healthcare and i can you know some somewhat relate to an example that um you know it's actually a notable example that involves AI system used in healthcare for um, managing patient care and predicting health risks. And to give you this example, I'll be intentionally vague about specifics, but it was, you know, discovered that the model trained for this purpose was biased in predicting the healthcare needs of different racial groups. And it was, and this was because the AI used healthcare spending as a proxy for health needs. Uh, but, you know, there are certain um, inequalities, uh, let's call it systemic inequalities, that apparently were not considered when defining the data that the AI system we use for training. So that uh, this particular institution, the one that, that created the system addressed this issue by, you know, revising the model's criteria. So instead of relying on spending uh, data they adjusted it to focus on more uh, direct health indicators, such as the prevalence of chronic conditions and outcomes. And this change aimed to correct the bias and ensure the AI's predictions were more equitable across all patient demographics. So, you know, this 
this situation, it, it also helps us understand how important it is to not only have the right data, but high quality data, and also how to monitor and update AI systems in healthcare to ensure they are fair and do not perpetuate existing biases. Totally. Let's actually, since you know we have an expert, your PhD, let's get a little bit more technical. So let's talk about the AI, uh, the model design itself. You know, the tech stack, if you will. You know, there's generative AI. This we picked up. Uh, you know, since since uh, you know a while, a while now, let's say a year or two or now, but. Let's talk about that as well. How is that going to pick into right tech stack and pipelining different models? How is that going to help with removing these biases, in your opinion? Yeah, so I think the most important thing to think about is um, when you're dealing with what we call neural networks, right? So this computer science algorithm that is inspired in the human brain. So when you're dealing with neural networks, it's really hard for us to understand some of the patterns that are found during training, um, as opposed to other uh, algorithms like you know three-based models where you can understand the reasoning behind the model's decision. And the thing is, the recent advancements in machine learning and artificial intelligence as a whole, they have been you know made with neural networks. So you know it's it's re it's really hard to find not only that balance but to define. Uh, what is the best strategy that you could use to not only avoid bias, but to guarantee that our model is accurate? Because if you would, uh, you know, rely on what is currently being used, like neural networks, you have this uh, explainability and interpretability issue. But also, you need to um, you need to rely on an algorithm that is accurate, that you know is uh, is paramount on this revolution that we are seeing nowadays. So it's there's no one size fits whole answer to that, but I mean, it's, you know, that's, that's what science is made of, you know, try and error. So you try, you, you check the results, then you adapt, and then uh, you try to cover as many scenarios as possible. Yeah. What I'm hearing is like a use case itself, right? What's the cost of, you know, uh, the false positives and the false negatives and all that. And then that's, that's depending, you know, on the, on the use case itself, right? Um, yeah, I, I can imagine as an example, if you if it's a false negative for a patient's cancer tool, that's yeah. that's detrimental, right? So it's, yeah. it's, it's the stakes are really high. Is that what you're saying? As opposed to, hey, you know what? I want to use AI, machine learning to do predictive analytics for staffing to make sure that we have enough staff yeah. on board and everything else, right? So that's what it boils down to, right? Yeah, absolutely, and also. It's it's really it's really important to think about what what you're trying to accomplish with AI, right? Because if you're trying to, for example, identify cancer on an image, you're probably uh, leaning towards like computer vision that is powered by neural networks. But of course, if you're trying to you know predict um, the cost of a clinical trial, for example, you may not rely entirely on neural networks because there are other algorithms that could be used for that purpose that have more interpretability. Therefore, they uh, could help you uh, not only understand, but potentially uh, eliminate biases because you have this interpretable component of the algorithm itself, right? But everything gets very blurry 
when we're talking about your networks. So if, even though there is, um, I mean, there are different strategies that you could use to kind of, you know, bring some explainability to your neural networks. It, this is not really straightforward. So that's kind of, you know, one of the things that we see nowadays when we are working with large language models, right? So using a chatbot, you see that depending on how you ask a question, the answer you might get could be more or less accurate. It depends on how you interact with the model's weights, how you interact with the different neurons on a neural network. So it's 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 really um, it's it's a black box model. Uh, there is uh, you know ongoing research on how to make those models more interpretable, which is paramount for healthcare. But still, there's a long way to go. Totally. I, I was rumor was a powerful project where it was about, um, you know, HR candidates, you know, filtering and, uh, it was the same thing. If you would pass it to deep learning, uh, it was a black box, as you say, and, you, and in those cases, you actually need to explain why you have rejected the candidate right. based on the resume. So we had to like, think about some, some more different learning methods, uh, supervised learning and more of a human involvement uh, as opposed to kind of like letting the AI completely take over and make those calls. Um, so I think that's, that's also another part of it, right? Yeah, right. So one good example is, um, you know, now that you gave this example about, you know, um, deep learning and hiring candidates. So say the AI model, like it's a deep learning based AI model is being used for healthcare and it's highly accurate but it's a uh, decision-making process is like, as you said, a black box, meaning, you know, doctors cannot understand how the model arrived at its conclusions. And, you know, this lack of explainability here may raise safety concerns when the AI recommends, let's say a medication that contradicts standard practice for a patient condition without, you know, providing the clear reasoning for that. Uh, so, um, the thing is, the discussion could revolve around, could it be that the model found a potential drug repurposing strategy? The answer is yes, but how can we be sure of that, right? It would require more and more research to finally understand whether or not the model proposed a, you know, innovative treatment or a drug repurposing strategy that is, you know, groundbreaking. And this is kind of why explainability is so relevant for, you know, um, healthcare, because essentially you're, you're dealing with uh, real lives, real people and uh, serious conditions that needs to be addressed by clinicians. That's such a good point you made. Um, yeah, because a lot of these LLM generative models, they're like really good at hallucination, aka brainstorming creativity, which could be baseless or it could be, oh my God, this could be something that we've never thought about. Yeah. Um, so it could be a companion for like advancing healthcare research and, and uh, innovations. Uh, but to your point, the, the deterministic factor that comes into play is, is quite, you know, uh, it's like when you, when you, it's all about like, you know, the, the level of creativity you want to put into it, like, you know, and, and depending Correct. on the outcome you're looking for, then you have to, to your point, uh, fine tune the, the weights and everything else. So it kind of generates, uh, you know, more often the direction that you need it. 
you know, if it's deterministic yeah. or if it's like open-ended, right? Right, uh, right. That opens a whole different, I guess, possibility when it comes to it. But at the same time, more concerns, explain, explainability you mentioned uh, and all that, right? Yeah, and it almost opens a um, philosophical discussion, right? Not only around what is uh, right or wrong in terms of, you know, ethics regarding the healthcare environment, but also whether or not you should rely on the machine to assist you as a clinician to on a patient-related decision. So a lot of things are related to that, yeah. Totally. So, I mean, on the same topic of uh, explainability, uh, what are your thoughts about, you know, uh, not, I mean, what can we do in terms of like, you know, helping the patients you know, have this more of an informed consent when it comes to, you know, uh, leveraging the data to train these models, especially when it comes to like, you know, these black boxes that like even the creators that don't know how they actually made those decisions. What are some approaches you think of that we can do that patients don't fully understand given this, how complex these algorithms are, some of them? Yeah, that's a good question. And I think for patients, uh, so understanding the role of AI is in their care, empowers them to make informed decisions. So on my understanding, this means like we need to break down complex algorithms into simple concepts that can help patients easily understand how, a, how AI is working to support their, their treatment, for example. And then you also have this component about clinicians, right? Because you, you also need clinicians to be part of that. And for clinicians, uh, being you know, knowledgeable about the AI tools at their disposal um, allows them to guide patients more effectively throughout uh, through the consent process. So I think it's like a two-fold strategy where you kind of, you know, need to work on educating patients, like uh, translating those complex things into more uh, down-to-earth uh, examples. And then there's also this component of clinicians that they need to, you know, be part of it and understand uh, what is not only the purpose, but how those the, the tools that they are relying on are, uh, are made of. Yeah, and I think I would add transparency. Like, you know, I think it's important um, to also mention that in cases where, you know, the outcome, we don't know how the decision has been made. And it could be like more of a yeah. opt-in uh, and that transparency with the patients, like, all right, this is where we're testing. Um, this is where we're at with this. And, you know, it, it could be, it could be, uh, you know, so what I'm trying to say is that by, by transparency and leaving up opt-in uh, with the patients themselves, maybe that could also help with, uh, you know, um, helping them making more of an informed decisions. You know, I get, mm-hmm. for example, on my phone, um, I opt in for like beta, uh, usage of some of these, you know, big brands, and I'm like, they say, hey, it, it's beta. It could be, you know, it's it's yeah. not, it's not perfect. But if you want to opt in to be a part of this and and potentially benefit, no guaranteed, you can opt in. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's um, if you give patient or if you give the user as a whole, right, uh, the proper understanding of how things are working and this would empower them to, as you said, opt in or out whenever they judge necessary, right? So 
And, you know, to address your point about transparency, uh, it, it really plays a crucial role in both explainability, but also in liability, right? So for AI systems to be trusted, especially in healthcare, it's vital that we can, you know, unpack and, and unpack and understand the decision-making process. This, this isn't just, you know, about being able to um, audit the system. It's about ensuring that healthcare professionals and patients can interpret the AI recommendations and eventually the healthcare providers or caregivers could uh, explain to patients the reasoning behind the uh, the AI-assisted decision, right? So at the end of the day, it's all about, you know, empowering users to ensure they have the proper understanding and have a say in how their data is being handled. Right on. And like, you know, knowing that this technology is new to everyone, including patients, clinicians, and these governed bodies, you know, folks like you and me techies, we bring this to life. So who, who do you think is best poised to kind of uh, be a part of this education? Because uh, every level of these, uh, you know, the, the, the government bodies, the clinicians and the patients, like there needs to be some training. They need to understand it first so they can pass this on. Like, what are your thoughts about how it could be best approached? Yeah, that's that's a difficult one because I think this should be a, you know, multifaceted approach, uh, more like a multidisciplinary approach, right? So I think healthcare professionals, of course, they play a vital role in, you know, ensuring the ethical use of AI in medicine um, because essentially they are responsible for maintaining oversight and accountability, ensuring um, AI tools serves and aids in decision-making without, you know, replacing human judgment. But, uh, you know, to strike a balance between AI system and clinical judgment, my understanding is that clinicians should engage in, uh, as I mentioned, multidisciplinary discussions with, um, for example, AI experts, uh, ethicists, and legal professionals, because these conversations are key to outline the complexities of AI in healthcare and navigating its uh, ethic part effectively. So, you know, by combining AI's capabilities with uh, their clinical expertise, I think healthcare providers can enhance potential uh, patient care without um, upholding ethical standards. Yeah, totally. So talking about clinicians, how do you see their role evolve as AI becomes more prevalent, you know, in the healthcare setting? Yeah, so I think, um, not in the future, but maybe in the present, uh, clinicians, they will have, uh, or they are having more time to work on tasks that are, you know, more related to patient care rather than administrative tasks, right? So I can see that, for example, that the integration of AI into daily operations, included in those administrative duties, such as, you know, let's say billing, scheduling, and patient communication, uh, this takes a lot of time from uh, healthcare professionals and they may transition this, uh, they, they may transition their effort to more high impact responsibilities like, you know, um, diseases, diagnosis, medical image interpretation and treatment recommendations. And of course the input or would help them by informing on these different tasks. So thereby it could 
enrich the decision-making capabilities of clinicians. So the way I envision it is that clinicians uh, might have more time to think through about the really complex part of the treatment, like, uh, you know, drug dosage, how a drug is going to be, uh, you know, administered, things like that, rather than uh, heavily involved on um, administrative duties. Totally. And you know what? This applies to any discipline. Like we're talking about, you know, I code, you code, and there's co-pilots out there that augments our capabilities, make us more productive, right? Um, yeah. It's less so about replacing, more about augmenting, like you said. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction to make. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's, you know, there's this uh, ongoing concern I can see these days about, you know, AI will replace us and so on. So AI is not replacing anybody. Uh, AI is like a tool that will help everyone that is willing to use AI to augment their own capabilities. It's like technology helping us to come up with a better version of ourselves. And in healthcare, you can easily visualize that. You know, so for example, I can uh, recall that when I was researching for my master thesis back in 2016, 17, um, there was a very prominent paper that was later published in the Nature magazine by uh, Steva and colleagues, uh, where a deep neural network achieved dermatologist level accuracy in um, classifying skin cancers. So uh, later, th that AI system augmented clinicians' diagnostic processes by providing a highly reliable second opinion, right? And eventually, this enhanced their ability to detect skin cancers much early, which is paramount for this type of silent condition, right? So uh, I, I think we need to really think through about, you know, how is AI supporting me as a human rather than how is AI uh, replacing me in the future? Yep, totally agreed. Um, and that really drives it home the example again about the uh, skin cancer. Uh, now, you know, talking about trade-off, patient privacy and innovation advancement in healthcare, right? They're like, you know, like kind of at odds. So do you think the infrastructure of all these regulations, uh, HIPAA, PHI, GDPR, do, do you think they need to revamp uh, the kind of like to accommodate this new landscape? Well, you know, I think... Um this regulations like you know HIPAA in US, GPR in Brazil, Europe, they need to um, be adaptable because uh, they need to follow the nature of the AI revolution that we've been going through, which is also adaptable, right? So the AI technology that we're seeing uh, now, 2024, is you know a substantial evolution from the technology that we saw back in 2020, 2018, for example. So I think uh, these regulations, they need to be really adaptable. They need to have, uh, you know, uh, some strategy that would allow um, people, you know, lawmakers to really adapt those regulations as the AI uh, evolution and revolution continues. Right. But at the same time, as I said, and I share the same, um, you know, concern that IMECAN shares, that if we 
put in place regulations that are, you know, too uh, repressive in terms of how AI should evolve, then I think we are pretty much, um, um, you know, not uh, progressing as we would go if, you know, if we didn't have um, such repressive um, law or such repressive, you know, argument against AI. I think uh, at the end of the day, what we need to have is adaptable um, structure of, you know, uh, regulations and the adaptable, adaptable nature of those regulations is also evolving as the AI technology is also evolving. So I think the adaptation itself should evolve in time. So just to continue and also to follow what the AI, uh, what we are going to see with the uh, progression of AI. Yeah, no, and I can't, I can't help but to quote, uh, who was it? Edward Wilson, I believe. He had this quote and he was saying, the real problem of humanity is the following. We have paleolithic emotions, medieval <laughs> institutions, and godlike technology. Yeah, yeah. I think that, that, that explains it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. I think, you know, um, people are seeing these days that we do have technology that, that is totally impressive, right? It's totally impressive. And how can we combine this uh, impressive technology, as you said, godlike technology, to our primitive emotions, for example, right? Or uh, how can we relate that to our institutions as well, right? So that's why I think, um, you know, it's really important not, not only to have those, you know, regulations to be adaptable, but also to engage in multidisciplinary discussions like you know, described in one of my predecessors. I think if you give uh, people from different backgrounds the opportunity to discuss about, you know, uh, how AI should progress, how things are progressing, and how AI could, you know, enhance the healthcare sector, for example, this will uh, bring to the discussion a lot of different perspectives that are, for example, not entirely known for developers. So I think this is paramount. This is something that um, it's really important to ensure that all the whole flow uh, works properly, you know? Yep. No, I totally agree with you, man. Uh, now let's, let's look ahead. Look ahead, you know, uh, what do you think uh, will be the most significant change in the healthcare as a result of AI in the next decade? What's your best guess? Yeah, it's being difficult to uh, do this type of exercise uh, the last few years, right? But yeah, from my understanding, the most uh, significant change in healthcare from AI over the next decade will likely be the widespread adoption of personalized medicine, closely integrated with uh, telemedicine. So I can picture a future where you know people are more likely to interact with chatbots to accurately assess uh, their symptoms and provide additional insights to caregivers. And if you think about it, this is something that, in my view, was greatly sped up by the recent COVID nineteen pandemic. Right, so people were, you know, in need of um, 
medical assistance. A lot of people start, you know, with telemedicine and you know, remote assistance in order to receive guidance. So I think this is something that already started. So I believe, you know, telemedicine powered by AI will make this personalized healthcare solutions available to a wider population, breaking down, you know, geographic and economic barriers to high quality care. I love that. I'm actually personally a recipient of that last year. I was in Brazil and I was talking to my, you know, uh, doctor back in back in Toronto, back in Canada, right? And that was just incredible, awesome. the kind of help I got, right? And now I can imagine sprinkling some AI on top, then that's going to be taken the next level. Um, yeah. So it's only it's only good I can see as a patient, somebody uh, to come come out of it, right? So, uh, but right, man, uh huh. Right. Yeah, absolutely. So think about it. You are in, you know, in Brazil, taking an appointment with your doctor in Canada. So this, you know, uh, is a massive advancement, not only in terms of, you know, the technology itself, but also in terms of the quality of uh, the treatment that you could take depending on, on, the, on your disease. So that's really important. Yeah, man. Absolutely. Now, listen, this has been a great discussion, and I really appreciate you going uh, deep into ethical size of when it comes to AI and healthcare. And yeah, man, I look forward to our future conversations, man. I really appreciate you. Awesome. It was a really pleasure. <laughs>